0: What is up, podcast listeners? This is a very special episode because this is the top five solo episodes of 2019. I wanted to put them together and give you a little review. And maybe for those people who've just joined my podcast, this is going to be a nice little you know flashback to the past of uh, some old episodes. The first one we got is episode 206 about deadlifting. If you're in pain and how to get out of it, so here we go. What's up, podcast? It is episode 206, and I am going solo in this one because I recently just did a seminar at my gym about deadlifting and low back pain. And I thought you know what I should share the information because you know I did this seminar actually last year and when I was prepping for it I was like oh you know what I'm just gonna go back to my slides from last year you know I'll have a good basis and I might just repeat the whole thing and as I was going through the slides I was like oh man this is this is not that good as I thought I was when I first did it a year ago so I revamped it and put a lot of good information in there and Again, this kind of stuff always reassures me that I've learned something new or I've figured out a way or a better way to explain something for my listeners, for my clients and so forth. So, you know, before we get started, I haven't done this in a while, I got to do some shout outs to my top cities. Number one is Chicago, Illinois. Shout out to everyone in Chicago listening to my show. I hear it's super, super freaking cold over there, and I am so sorry you have to deal with that. Honestly, I am very fortunate being here in BC where it's pretty warm compared to anywhere else in the world. A lot of times when I do my podcast and I get people from other parts of the world on my show and I tell them I'm from Canada and I'll even say Vancouver, a lot of them are like, oh man, it must be super cold, and I'm like, hmm... We're basically the only area in Canada that's not, like, freezing to death, essentially. So shout-out to all the cities dealing with the super, super cold. Stay warm out there, my friends. Um, Number two is Great Falls, Canada. Shout-out to every Canadian city listening to my show. And number three is East Moseley in the UK. Shout-out to everyone in the UK listening to my show. That is super, super awesome. So my presentation, because you are not seeing the slides, um, the one thing to note, I will actually post this whole presentation online where I actually tag team this thing with uh, the chiropractor that I work with. Um, so many of you who have been listening have probably noticed I've mentioned that you know at my new gym, I'm working in the clinic with a chiropractor. So what I did was, this was over a year ago now when I first met this uh, amazing chiropractor, we literally think on the same lines when it comes to training and rehab. And the more we chatted, the more we just realized that we had to collaborate somehow. And we decided to combine coaching and chiropractic care together to make our patients get better faster. And we've been doing this since September and we've seen some amazing results because a lot of times, a lot of chiros that understand exercise, they know that exercise, like proper programming and proper exercise selection and coaching on top of it is fucking clutch when it comes to getting better. You know, I've chatted with a handful of chiros and physios that, that are like, I would love to spend 30 minutes with a patient teaching them how to deadlift properly. But from my financial and business sense, it's not the best route if you're trying to build a business where you can make, you know, a livelihood. So we've created a model where if you went in... For a chiropractic treatment, it's 30 minutes. You get 15 to 20 minutes with the chiro, and the last portion with me, depending on what the chiro sees in that session. A lot of times, it's just on the spot, because you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes, just like in coaching, you'll have this perfect plan, but then client comes in, you know might have drank all night, rolled their ankle, and now you have to deal with that when they roll in through the gym floor. So just like with a patient, you never know what's going to happen. A lot of times, you know, you'll start seeing a patient, they're feeling better, and then they come in and they had a flare-up, and you're like, fuck, now we have to regress everything. But this is where good coaching comes into play. If you know what to do with the individual, and now that you have this like a deeper view of the body from the you know professional of a chiropractor it's a win win you know a lot of times that when the patient comes in the chiropractor will tell me you know this person needs shoulder stability they need you know passive T spine mobility drills and then look at their squat or deadlift on top of it and then as I'm on the gym floor with this patient giving him Their rehab exercises to do daily or in the warm up or in between main lifts. I also, you know, ask them, you know, like, how does your body feel when you're doing your squat, your bench, your deadlift, your pull up, whatever, whatever the exercise is. And now I'm getting all this information from them and from my trainer's eyes and trainer's view and knowledge. Now I can like troubleshoot the problem. And a lot of times it's the small little things and just educating the patient of what they can do instead. And now they have this huge platform to continue their progress. And we've seen people get better so quickly because chirals and physios, when they go to school, they don't really uh, like learn that much about exercise selection and progression and regression. That's where my uh, like expertise comes in. Her, on the other hand, is more of the clinical side, and we both understand each other. So a lot of times she knows what exercise she would want to happen, but because I have a larger toolbox at my disposal, I'll mention something, and she's like, oh, my God, yes, that would be amazing. So it's been working really, really well, and this is why we've teamed up to do a lot of seminars together to kind of bridge that gap between you know, rehab performance and just moving and feeling better. So when I put my slides together, I always start with finding funny GIFs or like memes or something like that and try to fit the information around it. So I have a lot of fun speaking at events. I love, love doing them. So imagine, you know, the professionalism of a chiropractor going up and chatting Uh, your ear off and then here comes me like a brick and bull in a china shop with the title of my presentation how to deadlift and squat without fucking up your shit that's i kind of set the tone to make things light so you know deadlifting and squatting are my kind of two favorite things and a lot of people do it incorrectly you know i had a really good hands-on um Portion of the seminar and looking at people's um, squat and deadlift. And in this seminar, we actually ran out of time and we just focused on the deadlift. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to share my information that I've updated and show the requirements in order for someone to barbell deadlift. And this is the funny thing. We had 15 people show up. And before I even started the seminar, I just asked, to, you know, show hands, who here has barbell deadlifted? Everyone's hand went up. I'm like, okay, sweet. Then I'm like, you know, how many of you have injured your lower back while barbell deadlifting? Everyone's hand went up. So I'm like, okay, there is something going on in their biomechanics or how their body's set up or where they're deadlifting from that's causing this issue. So let's figure out a way together to get you back on the bar. See, a lot of times physios and chiros shy away from like, oh, I don't want you doing that because it's going to further injure you. But Maybe they just don't understand that the person has different lever links, you know, hip structure, and maybe you need to put them in a different position in order for them to utilize the exercise to their advantage. It's just troubleshooting, you know? It's like you have a list of stuff you need to be able to do, and you start scratching them out, and when you're left with two or three, attack those. See which ones work best, and then follow through. So my kind of step steps in order to deadlift is like number 1 it's like do you have low back pain right now if the answer is yes go seek professional help from a physio or chiro this is where they'll figure out what's causing it the second layer of that is getting an assessment done by a coach that's a little bit more movement um uh inspired or um inclined by movement and this is where i kind of step in because like Yeah, you know, I can test your hip for internal and external rotation, you know, passively with my hands, but that doesn't really tell me that much of how the person moves when put in the deadlift position. So the assessment that I do with all my in-person clients and online clients is a combination of, you know, the functional movement screen, the TPI, the, you know, Eric Cressy's Assess and Correct, um, stuff that I picked up from Strong, First, stuff that I picked up from a couple of chiro's and physios, all blended together, as a combination of you know passive and active mobility, stability. See where the limiting factors are, and then apply those things in their program, in their warm up, and wherever I see fit. So that's kind of the second layer: is getting a movement assessment done based on the individual's needs. And then on top of that is having a prerequisite list. And this is where um, I went into my presentation of you know what's needed for a proper barbell deadlift off the floor. And number one for me is having enough anterior and posterior core strength. You know, like you need significant level of strength in your core, and I use air quotes in this, Because a lot of times when I say core, some people are like, oh, abs. But I'm thinking like if you put a saran wrap piece around your whole torso, starting at like your shoulders down to your hips, that's what I think about core. All those muscles in a like cylinder type of position – is where I want people to be strong in order to be able to lift a heavy weight. Because if you are strong in that torso, think of like a tree trunk going in a big, thick circle, this will ensure that our spine doesn't flex forward into flexion under heavy load because that's where people break. You know, they start listening to their ego and they keep slapping weight on the bar and then as they're grinding it out they let their spine collapse forward a little bit and that's where you know things get into a hyperextend position or just positions where the spine is not gonna be happy and over time that's gonna cause a lot of shit down the road, aka pain. So when people in the gym are wasting time with crunches, that's not gonna cut it. Like you need again air quotes Functional core exercises, things like planks, you know, half kneeling anti rotation presses, chops and lifts, fucking loaded carries, something to make you resilient to keep that spine protected. So, the second prerequisite that I always tell people that they need is enough thoracic spine mobility. So, this is where engaging your lats becomes so important to be able to handle heavier loads on the deadlift without compensation. So in order to properly engage your lats, you have to be able to extend the T-spine. right? So think about your upper spine. If you cut your spine in half, the upper half should be able to extend without arching your lower back or compensating in any other way. and a lot of people, especially general population, they can't extend their thoracic spine. It's kind of stuck. So where they get that extension is from their lumbar spine, and that's where a lot of people get pain, right? Our lumbar spine now has to work for our compromised extension. So this is where in their program. I'm going to be putting a lot of thoracic extension and rotation drills in order to open that up, along with you know opening up those tight lats because so many of us just sit all the fucking time. The story I tell everyone is like the average person will wake up, go into their car, drive for about 45 minutes to get to work, then they go sit at their desk for 8 to 10 hours, then they go back into the car to drive for another hour or two in traffic, they get home, they sit down to eat dinner, and after they're done dinner, they go sit down on the couch and finish the night with Netflix, sitting again. And now, you go repeat that five days a week, sometimes six if you have to work on the weekends, slap on two decades worth of that, and at that two decade mark, you realize, oh shit, I need to go back to the gym. And out of nowhere, you're like, fuck, I can't squat or touch my toes or do reach my hands over my head. No wonder your back hurts deadlifting. This is the stuff that people don't think about. Number three is having proper activation of your lats. So just like before, having enough thoracic mobility, this goes hand in hand. A lot of people, when they um, limit thoracic extension, they think they are activating their lats by squeezing their shoulder blades. So. Maybe because they have um, less thoracic extension, they're instead going to pinch their shoulder blades back to chi hit. But you're not actually activating your lats by squeezing your scabs together. All you're really doing is activating all those small little stabilizers. And when you look at powerlifting, when they're at heavy loads those small little stabilizers in your scaps actually are not strong enough to carry the load on the bar. So a lot of times, it kind of looks like they have a rounded back, but if you actually draw an angle on their back and those powerlifters, they still have a flat spine. It's just their shoulder blades are now dropping forward because the load on the bar is too heavy. So having proper lat activation helps stabilize the spine and this will allow you to transfer energy between the upper and lower body more effectively. So pinching your scaps back is not going to do it. This is why when I get people deadlifting, I'm telling them to like pull the bar towards them. Like if you think about if you were standing or sitting right now and you put your arms out at 90 degrees and you're actively pulling your hands down towards your legs, you're activating your lats compared to squeezing your shoulder blades back. So the last one, the final point that a lot of people don't think about is having full hip extension with glute activation. So a lot of times, the lack of glute activation and limited hip extension when deadlifting leads to a lot of hyper extension of the lower back and this, over time, will overdevelop the spinal erectors. Um, a lot of times, I see this in yoga instructors and funny enough, uh, I'm mentoring a new um trainer right now and she traditionally comes back uh, comes from a uh, yogi background so you know super flexible probably hyper mobile most yogis are and you know she moves pretty well and I asked her like okay let's go over the deadlift today and I asked her, do you barbell deadlift she's like yep I do it and I'm like okay let's see what we're working with and automatically boom like that her first initial movement is extending the lower back instead of extending her hips forward. And I asked her, like, do you ever get low back soreness or pain when you with She's like, all the fucking time. And I'm like, there you go. So when you look at a sport like yoga um, or activity like yoga, they have so many like forward bends and forward folds and they allow that lumbar spine to kind of just bend forward. So... In deadlifting, especially heavy loads, your lumbar spine has to be really, really stiff. You know, it has to act as a solid tree trunk to prevent it from collapsing. But in yoga, it allows it to be curved. So if you think about like a thick branch and you try to bend it in half, that's not going anywhere. Whereas a a yogi spine, it's like a thin, young branch where you can bend and twirl it around and it's not going to break at all. So for her, I'm like, you need to learn how to extend your hips first compared to extending your lower back first. This is where a lot of people um, get it wrong. And over time, it just becomes a habit and it takes such a long time to get out of a bad habit. So my whole thing is you know, If you don't meet those four points, there is a series of steps that I like to take a client. So, no matter what, most of the time, I would say 90% of the time when I'm working with a brand new client, they don't know how to hinge at their hips and extend with their hips without lumbar extension. So the first thing I teach them is how to hinge. You know, things like using the dowel, the bench, using the wall to teach that difference between pushing your butt back and having your knees come forward for a squat is detrimental to, not detrimental, critical and vital to performing a proper deadlift. And I usually spend four to six weeks here just teaching the person how to push their ass back and then from there I'll do an elevated kettlebell deadlift. Now I want to load the pattern. Because after about four to six weeks, people kind of understand what they have to do with their body. Shift the hips back, shift the hips back. It just becomes automatic. From there I want to challenge it with load. I want to stress it. So I will keep the deadlift elevated depending on a certain height. So with that person after four to six weeks learning how to hinge, I will take a dowel and tell them, we're going to pretend to deadlift like this is a barbell. So I'm going to put my two my uh, fingers on their lumbar spine together. So think I have a karate chop hand. Putting it on their lumbar spine and I tell them, I want you to pretend that you're lowering the bar just like a regular deadlift to the ground. And I'm going to tell you when to stop. As they're slowly um, going down to the ground with their fake barbell, the moment my fingers... You know, leave each other. They're no longer touching each other. I tell them to stop. What's happening is that their uh, vertebrae are now flexing forward. The moment that happens, I tell them to stop, and then we measure their imaginary line of where the dowel sits. That's where their height should be for their deadlift. So when I get that measurement, that's where I'm starting with them with a kettlebell. Because now I know that if they go any further down, they're going to be flexing at that spine. So let's reinforce a good pattern and actually get those glutes and hams and lats engaged during the exercise. As that becomes easier and their movement becomes more efficient, you know, I'll increase the load of the kettlebell, I'll lower the elevation. And retest that simple test. It takes like 30 seconds or less. From there, as I get more proficient, I may move to a double kettlebell. You know, as you get to the 24 kilo, you can might as well go up to the um, to double, and now you can increase the load that way. From there, I might move from the trap to the trap bar because I find a lot of people find that a lot easier to. Um, Master compared to having the barbell in front of them. From the trap bar, I might go to a barbell deadlift depending on the situation because everyone's so different, right? There's no like perfect linear line of where people should be deadlifting when they are on their journey of learning how to hinge properly. A lot of times people have such different hip structure, and I'm going to do a part two of this for the squat where I get in depth about hip anatomy. But the person who is on the left and right of you deadlifting at the same time, they will have a different stance, different grip, different body position in order for them to be able to lift the weight off the ground effectively. So this is where it comes down to the individual. Like I have to see how their body's moving. So during this seminar and I was getting – I was going one by one with every single person while everyone else was watching – the what I was doing with people and I had two people who injured their back so badly while deadlifting that they were actually pretty intimidated to go touch the barbell again the first one um, she mentioned that it's been seven months since she touched a barbell because she really hurt her back you know I did the little elevation test I got her to the bar we figured out a good foot position a good grip position head position, neutral spine, getting the lats engaged, creating tension in their core, creating tension at her feet. She lifted the bar and came back down and she said, that felt really good. And I'm like, fuck, awesome, right? It's just finding what the individual needs. Everyone's deadlift will look different. It doesn't matter if you have to be in a staggered stance. It doesn't matter if your feet are wider or more narrow or if you're going sumo. It all depends on... Your anatomy of your hip, your spine, freaking elbows, knees, whatever. It all depends. The second one, which really broke my heart because I thought our industry was getting better. She said last time she deadlifted, she messed up her back really badly and her trainer was coaching her. So I'm like, okay, well, let's get to the bar and see what we're dealing with. And as she's telling me her story, she has a full rounded back, and she was about to lift the bar, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa just wait a second. And in my head, I'm like, her trainer saw this and did not stop her. She probably was deadlifting with a rounded back, rep after rep, set after set, and eventually her back was like, fuck off, we're not doing this anymore. And that's when shit hit the fan. I got into just getting finding neutral spine and gripping the bar like she wanted to break it. And she lifted that thing and she was like, Holy shit, this is amazing. And I'm like, Yeah, when you do things right, the body feels good. So it blows my mind where, you know, the deadlift is one of those lifts where a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it's bad for your back. But it's like, no, it's not bad for your back. It's just you were never shown the right way to do it for your body structure. So this is why when I train people in person and online, I want a thorough assessment of how they move. I want to see how their deadlift looks. I want to give you every single pointer I have in order to make it fit. Because if you're just looking at a YouTube video of how other people deadlift and your body's not built the way that they're built – then you're just smashing a square pig in a round hole over and over and over again, hoping that it's going to fit one of these days, and it's never going to fit. And then your back hurts, and you just go, you know what? The deadlift is not for me. The deadlift is the worst exercise ever. But it's not. It's just finding what works for you you are a unique person with so many different variables compared to the person left or right of you doing the same exercise. So I'm going to leave it at that because I always try to keep these freaking solo episodes at 10 minutes, but it's been 25, but this was a lot of good information. If anyone out there has any comments, questions, or if you want your deadlift to be just like, look by me, fuck, I don't even care. Just go film yourself tomorrow at the gym email it to me message me on instagram or facebook and i'm gladly taking the time to look over your deadlift i love doing that shit it just gets me so hyped so i'm gonna leave it at that hopefully this was beneficial to you um share 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 this podcast with your friends and family let's grow this thing if you have any feedback or guest recommendations i am all ears until next time you guys that's it for me Episode 226, we are getting into a topic of anxiety. And I know this is not a specific nutrition or training topic, but it goes full circle to the bigger picture of how to achieve your goals. Without further ado, here's episode 226. All right, boys and girls, episode 226 is about to begin. episode because I have a topic that is close to my heart and something that's been coming up a lot recently and I just want to bring it up, shed some light and I, I think honestly a lot of people deal with anxiety and it's crippling you know i did a episode a couple episodes about depression and i haven't you know had the chance to talk about anxiety and recently a lot of stuff has been popping up where i've been seeing it in clients patients even in myself most recently actually and i think it's important to talk about this kind of stuff because a lot of people when they deal with something like anxiety depression suicidal thoughts anything like this The last thing they want to do is talk to somebody else, and, you know, I totally understand that. Um, So before we get deep and take a dive into this, we got to do some shout-outs to my top three cities. So my new number one is Oak Lawn in Illinois. Shout-out to everyone in the state of Illinois listening to my show. Number two, again, I'm going to butcher this name, out in Switzerland, a city called Luzeren, 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 someone from Switzerland please reach out and tell me how to pronounce that correctly, and the third one, I am definitely gonna fuck this one up, all the way out in Germany, um, here I go, Necker, Necker, Solum, some. Yeah, definitely fucked that one up, so I apologize to all my German listeners out there. Please reach out and tell me how to pronounce that city, and I'm super grateful to have all these international listeners on my show. Alright, let's talk about anxiety for a second. Growing up, when I was a kid, I was probably the biggest extrovert you can think of, never shy, I was always kind of out and about. And then as I started getting older, I kind of realized that, you know, public situations, meeting new people, speaking to new people, speaking public, anything that required like attention or trying a new, you know, situation, I literally wanted to like curl up and into a ball and die. And it just prevented me from doing so many things, you know. It it just feels like you're trapped and you can't enjoy things that you see other people do. And sometimes I remember like watching myself, actually thinking to myself, you know, this person or this person makes it so easy just to go up there and do their thing and not think twice. Whereas me, it was just like, fuck, I don't think I can do that. So I turned into a huge, huge introvert. And I wasn't self-aware of it until I got my first, you know, personal training job. And in my head, I always thought I was good with people, but I was terrible, terrible at communication. And it got to a point where I didn't want to train people. And it was like, it just bugged me. And I was lucky enough to have a mentor to kind of show me that there's other ways to improve, you know, how I am as an introvert and just have those small seconds of, um, being an extrovert to kind of communicate with, um, others. And it was a huge, huge win for me because this is where personal development comes in. And, you know, I dealt with having those, Anxiety attacks even when I knew that I had to go to a new situation. And I was like, Oh my god, oh my god, I can't do this. I can't do this. I wanted to throw up. I wanted to pass out. I would give all these excuses, but you know, I got through it. But you know, people out there that haven't had the opportunity to grow in this part of their life, it's I can only imagine how difficult it was. Because you know, now I'm pretty good in every situation, but. You know sometimes I'll think back and the reason why I brought this topic up is because I've been dealing with a lot of uh, patients have been dealing with anxiety attacks and oh, God like it's fucking terrible and you know my heart goes out to all those people and actually, most recently um, I've been dealing with an injury um, kind of on my left external oblique mid back type of area and i've been dealing with it for probably the last 5 weeks and i can't really figure out how to fix it so i've been going to different practitioners and the other night um, you know it was kind of bugging me i went to sleep and like middle the middle of the night like woke up at 1:30 in the morning and the pain was so so bad i couldn't find a comfortable position it was crippling me I was trying to like go on my foam roller I was trying to like stretch it out I was trying to do so many different things and I felt so so you know defeated and I started panicking that I couldn't sleep that I was going to be up all night that this pain wasn't going to go away like I couldn't breathe I had to wake up my wife and like she was the one who was able to calm me down and that just reminded me of similar situations I, I had when I was younger having anxiety attacks and I was like holy fuck like I haven't had that feeling in so long and you know recently I had a patient dealing with the same thing and what we decided to do was focus on breathing and it might sound silly but you know anxiety attack or not like breathing is so important You know, I teach all my patients proper breathing mechanics because, you know, so many of us are so stressed and our nervous system is always redlining and we don't have a chance to actually, like, come down from that high of stress. So I kind of, I want to learn, I want to teach people how to um, use their diaphragm. And I do a simple test where I put one hand on on their belly, one hand on their chest, and I tell them, take three deep breaths in for me. And all of them, every single one will take a deep breath just through their chest and almost kind of do the, (gasps) I'm like, God, that is not a good breath. And I explained to them how the diaphragm is our direct communicator and gatekeeper to our nervous system to calm it down. That's why in yoga, they're always like, breathe, now breathe some more, now breathe even more. They want to down regulate your nervous system so you can finally relax. And have that you know bliss of relaxation and when I get people focusing on honing in on their diaphragm those thoughts of being trapped in a rut they tend to go away because now your mind's focusing on the breath and you know this sounds kind of woo-woo but if I had to make it more science-based you know your diaphragm Is a muscle just like any other muscle in your body. The moment you stop using it, it goes into atrophy, meaning it's going to get weaker and smaller. So we need to train our diaphragm just like any other muscle, and it all starts with the breath. It's the first thing we do and the last thing we do in life, so it should be pretty important. And when it comes to core activation, starts with breathing. Spinal stabilization starts with breathing. All the best powerlifters in the world, the reason why they're Vertebral discs don't explode and pop across the gym floor. It's because their breathing is so so Honed in and automatic that they can take that much pressure So a lot of times I tell people with like low back pain pain in general heightened nervous systems dealing with anxiety is When you're in bed and you're tossing and turning and you're worried and you're having those attacks try your very very best to put one hand on your tummy one hand on your chest and take 10 deep breaths into that bottom hand on your belly where you're breathing in for four seconds holding it for four seconds at the top and then exhaling for four seconds and you would be so surprised how quickly that will down regulate your nervous system and calm down all those worrisome thoughts in your head To a point where you will fall asleep a lot faster. So my heart goes out to anyone out there dealing with anxiety, anxiety attacks, panic attacks. Like I wish I could, you know, do more than just speak about it on my podcast and, you know, meet you face to face and help you out. But just know that the most simplest thing that you can do is breathe. Breathe. You know, a lot of times when people have those anxiety attacks, you check their heart rates or breathing pattern, it just it does not do any favors for your body. So if you have you know, the power or strength to actually hone in on your breath, you'll do amazing things not only for your mental health, but also your body and also what you do in the gym. So I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Please share this podcast and update on my book. I feel like I keep talking about this over and over again, but the website should be ready this week. God, the amount of freaking back and forth with my web designer trying to get ClickBank to integrate with my landing page is ridiculous, but it's almost there. Everything's done. It just needs to go live and, you know i have a release date in mind so keep an eye out on that and i'll let you know hit the show notes get your name on that pre-sale list and you will not be sorry to get this new program the ironclad body training system that's it for me until next time you guys all right so next up we got episode 208 on how to squat without any kind of pain similar to the deadlift one so without further ado here we go all right, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your lovely host, Rafal Machevsky, and this is episode 208. I am pumped about this episode because I'm going to talk about the squat and how it's different For every single individual out there, just like the deadlift in my previous episode. If you have not listened to that one just yet, you definitely, you should, you should actually just stop listening right now, pause this episode, and go to the deadlift one. That's probably two or three episodes back, and it will make a lot of sense for you going that direction. Um, So before I get started, I'm going to do some shout-outs, because the top three cities are all over the world, and I think this is so cool. So number one, and I think this is the first time that's ever popped up on um, my radar and top 10 is vienna in austria shout out to everyone in austria listening to my show that is super freaking cool number two i'm probably going to butcher this luzerin in switzerland shout out to everyone in switzerland if someone is on my facebook or instagram from switzerland please send me the per like the proper way of pronouncing that city, so I don't sound like an idiot, and number three is Sydney, Australia, shout out to everyone in Australia, shout out to everyone all over the world that listens to my show, this is so freaking cool, Um, yeah, let's let's get this thing started, because we got a lot of stuff to cover, and I don't want to miss anything, so, This is all coming from one of my seminars that I have put together with a chiropractor that I work with directly, and we've been seeing a lot of people in the clinic and in the gym who have trouble with, you know, main lifts and compound lifts like the deadlift and squat, and the number one thing I tell people all the time and my clients, my patients, whoever, is that your body is completely different from the person on the left and right of you in the gym. And whatever their squat and deadlift looks like should be 100% different the way that you squat and deadlift. So there is a lot to do with hip structure on the squat. And one of the reasons why I wanted to get into this is because when I posted my deadlift um, episode, I had a lot of people reach out to me And they mentioned that they were, you know, surprised that they didn't think of, you know, the prerequisites that I mentioned. And some people even reached out and asked if um, they could send me their deadlift for a form check. And I'm like, hell yeah, send me your videos. I would love to see your deadlift and give you some feedback. Because, you know, the changes that I'm talking about when it comes to how your body's structured are small, minimal. But they go a really, really long way when it comes to performance, getting stronger, and being pain-free. And I think the thing that people forget is that when you do these compound lifts, you want to be pain-free the entire time. Because down the road when you start hitting plateaus that's going to be your limiting factor if you're constantly banged up from squatting and deadlifting you're never going to see the numbers that you want and you probably will get to a point of like no return and you develop such A bad habit of your form that's going to be really difficult to get rid of in order to get through those plateaus. So this is where SMART training comes into play, focusing on mobility exercises and things like that to be able to, you know, crush the bar essentially. So today we're going to go over the squat and this is again from my seminar and eventually I'm going to post the entire thing because we filmed the deadlift portion and we ran out of time so you know we I think it was 90 minutes long so I'm going to post that eventually and then we're doing the squat uh, portion later um, there's a couple things I want to get into with the squat at the beginning is that everyone just assumes that they should be barbell, dead, uh, barbell squatting right off the bat and just like the deadlift it's like do you have the prerequisites to actually get there You know, one of the things that I bring up is, you know, to actually get into the rack position of a barbell back squat, like, you need really good, healthy, mobile shoulders. So, like, that's kind of, like, the first layer that I look at where people um, should go to is check how the shoulders are moving. A lot of times with general population, you're sitting at a desk all day, and those shoulders round into that internal rotation, and especially for guys who don't have a background in fitness or like looking at the research of um, what's happening to the human body when you're doing certain exercises, they fall into this category that you know when they grab the bar in that rack position, those shoulders are dropping forward because they're internally rotated, and their elbows are flaring out like right behind them. And that position does not feel good because in the back squat, you actually want to think of grabbing the barbell and pulling down, and I'm going to get into that later to why. So when I assess a client, I check if they have adequate um, external, internal rotation of their shoulders. I also check for lat length because that plays a huge role in back squatting. I also check... Um, You know, hamstring flexibility and, you know, dynamic uh, hamstring flexibility actively because a lot of times when people squat, you know, the ones who have those so-called tight hamstrings, like they'll look good coming down, but on the way up, it's like they shift their butt back and they almost turn the back squat into like a good morning. And that's an indication that their hamstrings are... AKA tight, and they need some work. So there's a lot to it. Um, So, like one of the easy drills that I do is a uh, face the wall squat with the hands um, above the head in an overhead position. So, I get a client four inches away from the wall with the toes straight, which is on purpose to test their uh, hip mobility. And then I want them to squat as low as possible without their face or knees touching the walls. And really quickly, you'll see the true colors, as I call it, of how someone's squat will look like when you place the bar on their backs. And a lot of people can't pass this, but they just feel like they should be barbell back squatting, but they have no business being there. Now, on the flip side, you're allowed to back, back squat with the barbells, just you need to have the certain prerequisites, just like I said, or you're just going to be building strength over dysfunction, and something's going to implode in your body. The other thing I look at is if someone can actually extend their hips without using their low back or hamstrings, like, do they have a good firing sequence where their glute activates first, then their hamstrings, then their QL? You know, all of these things matter when it comes to placing a heavy load on your back and you're hoping for the best. Um, So I'm going to kind of move on and go through um, my notes here and my slides. And, you know, the first thing I bring up is um, the anatomy of the hip because it is super, super important to understand that hip structure dictates How you squat and deadlift and lunge. Now there's something called your joint capsule, where the femoral head of your femur, so remember the hip is a ball and socket joint, and it should be able to move freely. But if the you know joint cavity and capsule have some sort of restrictions in there, and now that ball and socket Um, structure is not going to move the way it's designed and it's going to find a different angle or a different point. Or worse yet, it gets stuck and the joint can't move and it's just kind of like you're just jamming like a square peg in a round hole constantly, constantly until something in that hip feels pinchy, tight even sharp, stabbing pain. But people still back squat anyway and the hips just get worse. So if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram, I'm a huge, huge advocate of the FRC and kin stretch. Anything that Dr. Andrew Spina spits out is where I start first when it comes to joint health. You know, there's an exercise called uh, Hip Cars that I constantly do and it's something that you should really check out. So actually what I'm going to do is for anyone out there who has tight hips, their hips just don't feel right, and it's limiting them in their squat, I'm gonna put a link in the show notes of this episode of hip cars and the tutorial on how to do it. And then I always tell people that you know this exercise is gonna help you so much if you do it daily and also before your workouts. So CARS is an abbreviation for controlled articular rotations, which basically is a fancy way of saying that we're going to move the joint in the direction it's designed to move in. Now, the important thing to note is, you know, how I describe CARS is almost like flossing your teeth. In the beginning your gums are bleeding it sucks you hate doing it and you sometimes forget but you got to build a habit to it and the more you do it the better quality your teeth are going to you know become so just like flossing cars is flossing for your joints the more you do it the better the integrity of your joint joint capsule will be cuz we're constantly sending good feedback and information to the joint which is directly related to your brain and nervous system. And that uh, signal that's constantly sent to your brain and nervous system will improve the movement quality in that joint. Along with that, we're sending synovial fluid, nutrients, blood flow to that area constantly. So if you put two and two together, those joints are going to move a lot better. So when it comes to the squat, let's look at the foundation first. Let's look at the structure of the hip. How's it moving? How's it designed? Because that's gonna dictate how you're gonna squat in the gym. And that's where I kind of start um, with clients. I kind of educate them. I try to educate anyone who's been in powerlifting or wants to get into a heavy back squat position or whatever it may be. Now, something important to note is also there's i believe i could be wrong on this four to six different types of pelvises out there so depending on where you're from where your dna comes from your origins your hip structure is going to be different so an example is i'm eastern european i can deep squat like nobody's business i can Sit in a squat position, nice and low. Get back up. No pain whatsoever. The North American hip, people get stuck. It's just they just can't do it. And one of the examples is like in my slides, I have a um, photo of these two different pelvises. And on the left-hand side, it shows where the hip socket is, where the you know the ball and socket meet in the cavity. You know, the hip points forward. It has a sharp angle pointing forward. And on the other pelvis that's right beside it, it shows how the hole essentially for the femur head to go into opens laterally and has a curved shape. So just with these two different types of pelvises that I show to my um, seminar, people are going to be like, holy shit, like this does matter. So think about that. Like – your pelvis is going to be completely different right if the two hips that I'm talking about if one of them has a more um, like one opens more laterally than the other that's going to show up in the gym when you're squatting and placing your feet on the ground how you're going to like maneuver your body going down and up in the squat so we have that so we have different types of pelvises where the you know where the socket is how it opens up either forward laterally however it's designed and then on top of that is that your left hip socket and right hip socket are designed completely different they're not exactly the same and then on top of that if you are a woman who gave birth maybe your pelvis is out of alignment maybe as a guy or a woman you're born with one leg shorter than the other. That's going to play a role. Maybe you're someone with a partial hip um, replacement or a full hip replacement, and then your other hip is somewhat okay. Now, that plays a whole nother role. Another thing that people don't think about is like your length of your levers. So for me, I actually have a short femur in relation to my tibia and fibula, like those things matter. So, now to throw another thing into the equation, is some of us have femurs that are twisted forward or backwards. So, in my slides, I actually show an example of this where, you know, how the alignment of your femur and the hip joint dictates how you squat. So, having a more angled femur is something called an antiverted hip. Whereas a flattened angle gives us a retroverted hip. And now the difference between those two is one's going to have more external rotation of the hip and the other one's going to have more internal rotation of the hip. So already I'm adding to this list. Like it's it's getting crazy. Like you're probably listening. You're like, holy fuck, there's so many things that's happening to my hips. And what am I supposed to do? So I'm not going to throw another layer on top of this. So we also have connective tissue called fascia that are, that's all over our body. And for a majority of us, we sit on our ass all the fucking time. So that fascia that's connected all around us, around our hips, is going to create some tightness. It's going to create some neurological tone. It's going to really fuck shit up more than what you're dealing with with all the stuff that I... Um, mentioned earlier. So what we're going to have to do is figure out what's the best squatting position for you and what's the best approach. And maybe where you start off is actually taking a few steps back and then going back to the barbell back squat. So I can't give a full answer of what you should be doing because it's going to be different for every single person. But a few coaching cues that I give to people on the spot to see um, what would be the best um, squatting position for them is things like, let's elevate your heels because you need adequate uh, dorsiflexion, which is another thing that I forgot to even mention, is you need adequate ankle mobility to be able to back squat properly. That's why a lot of powerlifters and Olympic weightlifters have um, special shoes that raise the heel, right? So that's another thing that you have to consider is like do I have enough ankle mobility to be able to squat down and allow my tib and fib to go forward in a certain angle in order to generate enough power to go straight up, right? So now with all these things kind of against you, we gotta find the best position for you. So what I do is an assessment where I do some hip scouring And this will give me a better idea where the person's hips like to fall into when it comes to um, a squatting pattern. And that's where I kind of start the person. That's where I start um, my kind of detective work. And a lot of times when it comes to form for squatting is a lot of like trial and error. So it's like, okay, I'm going to have my feet wider than hip width. Squat down. That doesn't feel that great. I feel pinching. I'm going to externally rotate my feet out by 20-ish degrees. Okay, that felt better. I'm going to elevate my heels. Okay, that felt better. My shoulders are super, super tight in this position. Maybe I'll go wider or more narrower. Or maybe I need to focus on mobility work in my squat before I get into it. Maybe I have some neurological tone and tightness that I need to take care of in my warm-up with... Foam rolling and different soft tissue techniques and some sort of like CARS exercise in order for my squat to feel good. And sometimes it's just a neurological thing. Maybe we need to kind of activate certain things. Let's activate your glutes, our core. Let's activate, you know, grip strength. Let's create tension. Sometimes people don't even know how to create tension in their back squat, you know, like. I was chatting with one of the members in uh, my gym that I train out of, and this guy is a beast, he is strong, and then he injured himself during the back squat. And when I took him out onto the gym floor, I'm like, okay, hey, let's see your back squat. And then I asked him like, okay, how do you create tension in your back squat? And he didn't know what that even meant. So just like your deadlift, you want to be able to brace. So the bracing strategy for a deadlift compared to a squat is completely different. And what I said earlier about pulling the bar down, a lot of people make the mistake of like, they just kind of hold on to the bar and don't do anything with it. When I coach clients and patients how to back squat, I want them to grip that bar as hard as possible and pull it down into their traps to think of them activating their lats like they're doing a wide-ass pull-up or a lat pull-down exercise to create tensions through the lats to translate down into their pelvis to get those glutes going. A lot of people with shitty shoulders can't do that. That's going to hurt them. So to end this, I know I said a lot of stuff and I wish I could like just give a blanket statement of how you're supposed to squat, but it's really difficult if I can't see the person. So again, I'm going to leave this open. If you want to send me how your squat looks like, 100% I would love to look at it and give you some pointers. And maybe it's like, you just need a good assessment to figure out what's the best strategy for you. You know, maybe you have like an inactive internal oblique on the left that's causing you not being able to create more tension and you have this weird weight shift. Maybe you even have a broken big toe injury from several years ago that's causing you not being able to create enough tension into the ground to drive through. There's so many things out there. Actually, another thing I'm going to mention is pelvic uh, pelvic uh, floor strength. If you're a woman who's had a couple kids, maybe even one, even a kid that that's thirteen years old right now, if you never retrained how your pelvic floor is supposed to function, that's going to reflect in that back squat. So the way I I explain tension in the deadlift and squat is I want your diaphragm that sits at the very bottom of your rib cage and then your pelvic floor that's at the very bottom of your lower abdomen. When you create sufficient um, tension, that lower piece of your pelvic floor and that upper piece of your diaphragm should come close together, creating this like cylinder effect of compressed pressure. And similar to I give this analogy all the time. It's like, you know, if you take a Coke can unopened and you put it on the ground you step on it, because there's so much compressed air in there and it hasn't been opened, that thing's not crushing down and you waste so much more. But it's that compressive force that has tension in there that's keeping it tight. Now imagine opening up that Coke can, pouring out a little bit of the Coke, and now stepping on it, there's no tension. You're just going to crush that thing the same thing when it comes to proper core tension for these main lifts so there's a lot of stuff to think about and i can keep talking about this but we're already 23 minutes in and i don't want to make this into like a full hour episode of just me rambling on back squat technique but if you have any other questions feel free to reach out i'm going to put um, that link to the hip cards that you can start doing uh, daily and before your back squat day to get those hips moving properly and have better integrity in that joint capsule. And add me on Facebook. Click the link in the show notes. Send me your videos. Give me some feedback. Let me know if you have any topics you want me to get into. I love it all. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. And share, 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 share this podcast with your friends. My ebook is almost done. I feel like I say this every week, but it is almost there. Um, stay tuned. It's gonna be freaking amazing. It's well worth the wait. Until next time, you guys, that's it for me. All right, next up, we've got episode 210, where I bring up another bigger picture topic of asking yourself why. And I think. A lot of people have seen the Simon Sinek talk about why and finding your why, and I wanted to bring that up into the fitness and health realm because a lot of times people get into fitness for the wrong reasons, and you have to really dig deep down inside to figure out if you're on the right path to achieve your goals, so I wanted to bring this episode up, and no wonder this was in the top five of 2019, so without further ado, here we go. What's up, podcast listeners, that was a long pause, but it was well worth it to go and drop of the beat. Guys, this is episode 210, and this is Cut the Shit, Get Fit With your lovely host, Rafal Matuszewski, which is I. And I am pumped to get this episode going because we're at 210. That means we're 90 away from 300. And don't tell me that is way too far to start thinking about because I'm one of those people that looks forward to Christmas like at this point in time because I just saw someone us on Facebook that it's like 45 weekends away from Christmas, and I liked it because goddamn, I love Christmas. Anyway, I got a bunch of stuff that I kind of want to hammer out today, and I think it's going to be one of those episodes where I kind of just go all over all over the place because I have a lot of stuff on my mind right now, but let us start with some shout-outs because that's what I do every single week, and it's amazing. So number one, top most listen city is all the way in Pennsylvania in a little town called Ambler. Shout out to everybody in Ambler. Number two, and I think this is the first time they've been on my top ten, Cincinnati, Ohio. Shout out to everybody in Ohio listening to my show. And number three, all the way across the water, Harrow in the UK, Shout out to everybody in the UK listening to my show. And you know what? One more honorable mention. Number four is all the way in Australia, in the city of Melbourne. Shout out to everybody in Australia listening to my show. Super, super cool. And you know what? I'm going to throw in one more because, again, people all over the world listening to my show is Auckland in New Zealand. Shout out to everybody in New Zealand listening to my show. Super freaking awesome. Okay. Topic number one finding your why so this is interesting i think i brought this up before on my show and i don't know how far i got into it but recently i picked up another coach to mentor and you know at my gym she's been kind of in and out learning what i do how i coach clients and we recently kind of just touched on the psychosocial aspect of coaching. And, you know, we're eating lunch together and she's like, hey, so you mentioned earlier that you, you know, count macros and crap like that. Like, how, how do you do that? And, you know, I could have easily just gone, oh, this is how you do it. But I asked her, well, why do you want to know? And she's like, well, I think I want to start doing that. And I'm like, well, why do you want to do that? She's like, well, you know, I kind of want to, like, lose weight and blah, 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 and got into that whole thing. But I told her, like, usually when people ask me stuff like that, I always ask why. You know, what's the root cause? Why do you want to do this? A lot of times people give you a superficial answer, which is not the actual answer. And it can go in two different ways. Either they tell you exactly why, where, you know, most people are just like, oh, I want to look a certain way to impress my ex that I divorced 10 years ago. Or they'll go and say, I want to look the way I used to in my 20s because I don't feel like my body's accepting any new suitors or whatever. There's so many different situations like that. Or they can straight up tell you that, you know, they start peeling back layers and it's really because they have a really bad relationship with food. And that's one of the first things I ask is like when I start investigating with people is like, well, what what's kind of your background in eating? And when you start asking why And you start peeling back every single layer and you get to the root cause. You kind of have this like epiphany moment where you're like, holy shit. The reason why I want to track macros is because I don't know how to react in certain situations. So I turned to food. And honestly, if you like sat down, like whatever diet you're following, for example, right at this moment, if you are. Do this yourself. Like ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And start peeling back the layers, right? Maybe the first time you ask yourself, it's like, well, I want to tighten up my nutrition. Okay, why? Um, I want to make sure that I'm getting all my nutrients in. Why? I want to make sure that, you know, I don't gain weight during this time of the year. Why? Because I want to be able to fit into a dress or a certain outfit. Why? Because I haven't had a date in five years. Why? And it just keeps going. Like, you can get really, really, really deep into why you're doing a certain thing in your life. And this goes for any single thing out there. And. You know, when I started asking these questions to this new coach, you know, I think after two days, she texted me this long text of doing that same exercise, and she realized a lot of stuff about herself. And she's like, This is the first time I ever realized this. And I had like a five minute conversation with you. And I'm like, Well, when you ask the right questions, things come up really quickly. And this is what coaching really is. And that's why I told her, I'm like, you know, you can get every certification out there. You can read every piece of research out there. But if you can't communicate to the person right in front of you, that's having a really rough time in their life, then it doesn't mean shit. You know, that's why I'm really fascinated with the psychology of coaching, the art of coaching as a lot of people call it. And I think that's, what's really, really important. So anytime you see a new diet or you hear a friend talking about a certain way that they're eating or chose to eat and you're like, oh, maybe I should do it, just ask yourself why. Even right now, like whatever the hell you're doing, maybe ask yourself why you're doing it and get to the root cause. you know. And the, other, the flip side is like sometimes when you get to the why and you keep asking yourself, you might not actually know why you're doing it. You know, I had an experience before where I had an online coaching client for nutrition and she was a huge advocate for the keto diet. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. We'll go around the way you want it. We'll keep our nutrition coaching on track with keto in mind. And I had that conversation with her. I was like, why? Why? And she honestly didn't know why she was doing it. But we did figure out it's because... She saw on social media that everyone's doing it. She had a coworker at work that was doing it too and saw amazing results, so she thought she would do that too. But when it came to the reason why, she and she started laughing, like, I've been doing this for, like, six months and hating it, and for some reason, like, this superficial, like, thing made me want to do it. You know, sometimes people... You you see this all the time. Like, you see a person on the left of you doing something, and you're like, oh, I guess I got to do that too. You know, I remember they did this, like, little um, study where it was, like, a doctor's office, and everyone's just sitting and waiting. And everyone in the waiting room, except the one person walking in, was in on this little experiment. So, you know, this person comes in waiting to see the doctor and everyone else there was part of the experiment and every 10 minutes everybody part of the experiment part of the experiment would stand up for a couple seconds and then sit back down and the person that you know was was sitting down and was looking around like what what the hell is going on here and after a couple times waiting every 10 minutes and everyone would stand up and back down She started joining in. And eventually when all those people left and she was the last one, they wanted to see if she would uh, stand up. And oh, there was a bell. There was a certain noise that they would play and they would all stand up. And when she was alone, they played the bell a couple times and she stood up by herself because... You know, we're all lemmings, we just follow. And then they brought in another person for the doctor who was not part of the experiment. And, you know, they're both waiting and the bell goes off. She stood up, waited there a little bit and sat back down. And the guy's like, why why are you doing that? She's like, oh, that's what you're supposed to do. And He's like, why? She's like, I I don't know. (laughs) Right. And it just goes to show like people follow other people for no reason. You know, like, There's no why to it. It's really interesting how our brain works. Like, literally, there was no reason behind it. It's very interesting to me. So I think the moral of the story here is to, like, really audit the the things that you're doing in your life. Like, if you're doing something that you absolutely hate but you continue to do it anyway, ask yourself, why am I doing this in the first place? maybe you actually shouldn't be doing it maybe you should do something else maybe you should use that free time for something else or for yourself right it's it blows my mind how how easy that is and i think this is a good segue into the next thing you know working at big box gyms gyms with a lot of people a lot of times People will go into a class, a group workout, whatever it is, and just look at the other people and do exactly what they're doing because they don't know any better and they just follow the herd and they won't say anything if something feels off, you know? And again, this goes back to the why. So sometimes when I walk by in my gym and I see, you know, a member doing an exercise incorrectly and they continuously do it over and over again, I'll sometimes walk over and be like, how does that feel? They'll usually go, not that good. I'm like, why are you doing it? They're like, I I don't know. (laughs) You know? And sometimes you just got to ask yourself that. It's that simple. You know, like a barbell deadlift. Like, I did a whole podcast on it. And some people just, like, (laughs) they continually hurt their backs, their, you know, necks, whatever it is, over and over and over again because they don't know that there's another option that can work the same muscle group, you know? You don't have to do what other people are doing in the gym because that's stupid. Like, you're an individual. You're going to have different bony structures. You're going to have a different pelvis. You're going to have different lever links. You're going to have different tight spots. Like, they're, everyone's different. Everyone's squat's going to look different. Everyone's press is going to look different. Then if you have injuries on top of that, you've had kids. Like It all adds up. There's so much to it. And this is where, again, going back to mentoring this new coach, progressions and regressions are key and lateralizations. So... If I had to give any kind of advice to any new coach out there or any avid fitness enthusiast that loves going to the gym, but maybe there's an exercise that just doesn't feel right and no matter what kind of coaching you get, it's not working, figure out the regression for the exercise or the lateralization. And what I mean by lateralization is like maybe finding an exercise that's as difficult working the same muscle group, but it's not that exercise. So let's say an example is your big right toe in a split squat position is killing you every time you do it, but you constantly just hammer it out anyway. And then the day after your workout, you can't walk properly because your toe, big toe is inflamed and it hurts like fucking hell. So what would you do in that situation? And this is a question and kind of case study I always bring up to anyone I mentor. And a lot of times it's like, okay, well, we're doing some sort of lunge variation. What can I do to kind of mimic that? Maybe doing a lateral split squat would be better. Yeah, you could debate that, oh, no, you're going to get more lateral stabilizers, your adductor is going to work and blah, blah, blah. But it's still a split squat. But you're now, both of your toes are not in a flexed position and there's less pressure. And now you can do it pain-free. You feel pretty good. You're still working your legs and you're still getting strong. That's a lateralization. A regression, for example, if someone was doing a split squat and can barely get down there, maybe they're overweight and they physically can't lift up their entire body weight. Hold on to a TRX like simple little things and this is the stuff that I feel like everyone should know because then when you're in the gym and something doesn't work out or a piece of equipment is available, or you know you go to a hotel gym and all you have is like machines and a treadmill and you have this program and you're like fuck I can't do any of it but now this is where you need to get on the creative side and figure out what can I do. You know, I have the back squat, but there's no squat rack in here. I just have dumbbells and a bench. What do I do? This is the stuff you need to learn. And a lot of times people who work out on their own, they don't want to learn more because they just think they know it. And that's like the biggest mistake ever. And they, one of the examples I always give is like, you know, I could do my own plumbing in my house. But sooner or later, a pipe is going to burst because I fucked it up when I set it up in the beginning. You know, I can only watch so many YouTube videos on how to put, you know, piping together and hope that it doesn't burst. And I've had those experiences where I had to, like, fix my dishwasher and I thought I turned off the water supply. And when I... Unscrewed the water supply of my dishwasher. I had hot, steaming freaking water with high pressure hitting me in the fucking face and my whole house almost freaking flooded. You know, I should have probably called um, a plumber to get it done. It would have been done within an hour, not a whole day, and I wouldn't have to, like, try to dry my entire kitchen and living room, essentially. And... I fell victim to the, like, oh, I'm a guy. I'm going to listen to my ego. I'm going to fix things because that's what I'm meant to do. Whereas I could have just got a professional to come in or someone who has a lot of experience doing it, like my dad or my grandfather, but I didn't do that. And I had the consequence of hot, burning, high-pressure water hitting my face and almost destroying my house. So it goes the same with exercise, right? Like, if you're not going to educate yourself, like, get someone to help you. Don't think that you can do it yourself. And then again, you can go back to what I first said in the beginning of this episode. Why? Why do you want to do it on your own? So I'm going to leave it there. And I want every one of you to actually do that exercise of like, if you're following a diet right now or doing something that does not make you happy, or you're in a situation in a relationship with a friend, spouse, or whatever, and it's making you miserable, ask yourself why. And then start peeling back layers every single time. And you'd be amazed what you get to. You might not realize it right there and then, but maybe the next day, the day after, where you're like, holy fuck, this is it. So think about it. Ask yourself why. That's it for me. Hopefully you enjoyed this one. Let me know if you have any questions, thoughts, concerns. My book is almost done. Guys, holy shit, I am almost done with it. I'm super, super pumped. Final touches, I'll make an announcement soon for the launch date, maybe a little pre-sale list. Keep your eyes open. Share this podcast with your friends and family to grow this motherfucking podcast as big as possible. I love you all. Thank you all right last one we are at episode 250 where i bring up the whole concept of knee pain it's really cool to see that a lot of my top five solo episodes have been about more exercise specific things when it comes to pain any kind of injury or things like that so i wanted to shed some light on why people get knee pain how to get out of it what things you should be doing in the gym not and not be doing in the gym. So here we go, episode 50. What's up, podcast listeners? It's your host, Rafa Matuszewski, once again on Cut the Shit, Get Fit, and I'm going solo. And it's Sunday, and a new week's about to start, and I'm always pumped for Monday because I feel like I have... All this built-up energy like a puppy that needs to be just like dispersed onto the world. So Mondays are my day where I just try to destroy every single list and goal that I have. So I'm excited to get things rolling with this episode. Um, And I'm excited about today's topic, which is knee pain. It's a bitch, and it gets in the way of a lot of things that you're trying to achieve in the gym and just fitness and health in general the knees are so integral to everything we do but so many of us deal with chronic and annoying knee pain and i'm going to get into those things right after giving some shout outs to my top three most listened cities around the world number one in my home country, in my own home country, when I get really excited, I tend to think of the sense or word faster than my mouth can com- comprehend. So that happens a lot. I used to edit the, that out. I would like start over the whole intro, but I was just like, "Fuck it! I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let me be me." <laughs> but uh, all the way in my home country, Canada. We have the city of Mississauga. Shout out to everyone in Mississauga listening to my show. Super cool. This is the first time you've been on my number one. So, shout out to everyone in Canada listening to my show. Number two, Portland, Oregon. Shout out to everyone in Portland for listening to my show. And number three, all the way in California. Shout out to San Diego listening to my show. Super, super cool. I'm super humbled for everyone listening to my show, listening to me ramble. And... You know what? I just, just I gotta thank every single one of you. You guys are freaking awesome for listening to me ramble about random shit every single week and somehow think it's of value. But I'd like to think I help at least one person a week. Um, knee pain. So anytime I get a question in the clinic, in the gym, or online about pain. And when people ask me, well, what do you think it is, what do you think I should do, what am I doing wrong? And I always start with, it depends. It's not a cop-out, it's not a thing about me being lazy or other fitness professionals who say the same thing. It really does depend on a lot of things. So the most common scenario, try to, I'm going to try to like single this down, is my knees hurt when I lunge, squat or do step-ups or, you know, go running. Those are the four or three things I just listed. I can't remember how many um, that are most common that I see. And my first thing when there's pain, I always tell everyone, go see a professional that's either a physiotherapist or a chiropractor that specializes in sports medicine, because they can at least diagnose what's going on and give you some specifics. And then you can go to a trainer that has a lot of experience in rehab to figure out what approach is best to make sure that you're not fucking yourself over even more. So say that you did all those things and you know what you need to do. Typically, what I see, there's patterns. Usually when I see people with knee issues let alone if it's anterior knee pain, medial knee pain, meaning the inside of your knee, or lateral knee pain, meaning the outside of your knee, I always look at two joints that have a huge role in dictating what the knee does. So usually the two culprits are the ankle and the hip. Right? If you look at the joint-by-joint joint approach that Mike Boyle and Gray Cook kind of coined and created, the knee joint is meant to be stable. When it can't stabilize, it's most likely a mobility issue within the ankle and the hip. So when I have a patient or a client that's dealing with knee pain, the first thing I'm thinking about is how's their ankles moving and how's their hips moving? Funny enough, every single knee person that I've seen in the clinic all have terrible hip mobility, all of them. So if you really think about it, if you start clearing up your hip issues, that present themselves as knee issues, a lot of the knee stress that's going on to wherever spot is hurting tends to go away. But this is where you got to put in the work. And, you know, yeah, I talk a lot about rehab, but, you know, if you go down to the core of this podcast about weight loss, rehab has a huge role in it. Because a lot of people, when they're trying to lose weight, they want to start running as their first form of exercise. The typical scenario is, You know, an individual hasn't worked out for a year, two years, maybe a decade. First thought comes in their head is like, I'm going to start eating better. I'm going to go on runs every day. The person hasn't exercised in a long time. Your body's not conditioned. You're probably carrying some extra pounds on you. And now you're throwing impact on your joints. So now think about this. If I told you to go on one foot and hop 1,500 times on one leg and then transition over to the other side and do the same thing, you tell me that I'm fucking crazy. But in reality, that's running one mile. So think about the kind of pressure you're putting on every single joint on your body repetitively. No wonder people have knee, ankle, hip, shin splints, and all that kind of crap when they're trying to start their fitness journey by running. So, again, what you would have to do is stop running and build a better foundation. All exercise is is building a really good foundation so other things don't get, you know, left behind. Anytime I see someone with an injury, I start looking at other spots on their body of what's going on there right usually there's some sort of dysfunctional tissue and a dysfunctional joint causing the issue you know if you really think about it fitness and rehabs are usually pretty easy right if you make the analogy of hey my knee hurts the last thing you want to do is i'm going to start treating the knee to make it feel better the analogy i give is like say you're at home and you start seeing a leak in your ceiling and you go, oh, the bathroom's right above that spot. I'm probably going to go to the bathroom and see what's going on with the pipes. You're not going to go, oh, there's a leak in the roof. I'm going to fix the ceiling to fix the water issue. Like, you would just fall, you know, a couple months down the road with the same issue. Same thing with the knee. A lot of people will go to inexperienced therapists where the therapist will treat the knee, treat the knee, knee starts feeling better, but hasn't gone to the root cause. You always want to go to the root cause. So, as a coach, I always tell people hip mobility is king because it also dictates how your low back is feeling, right? The body will compensate for the mobility you don't have. So the hips is kind of like a double-edged sword. If you don't have adequate hip mobility, two things will happen. Your knees will start hurting and your low back will start hurting. Your body will find mobility elsewhere. The knees are meant to be stable. The low back is meant to be stable. If the hips don't have the mobility, where do you think they're gonna find mobility? In the knees and the low back. Those two joints are not meant to be mobile. They're supposed to be stable. So now you're like literally just jamming shit in the way that your body's not supposed to move. And then, you know, eventually that one straw that breaks the camel's back, boom, you're in that acute painful situation where your knees and low back hurt. So I have this saying where like hips are king. Think of your hips as the epicenter of your body. If those hips are moving the way they're supposed to, a lot of the stress on the low back and knees will start fading away. It takes time but it's worth it down in the long run when it comes to training because if you're constantly dealing with an injury, you won't be able to put your 100% effort to see the results you're hoping for. So I use two exercises with literally every single patient in the clinic with knee pain or low back pain, and it usually starts with hip cars, and if you don't know what hip cars are, Like, if you have me on Facebook or Instagram, I use hip cars a lot. It's basically putting the hip joint through the full range of motions designed to repetitively over and over and over again, and it's literally the best mobility exercise out there, in my own opinion. Number two is the 90-90 hip drill. You can work your hips either in external or internal rotation, in a static position and throw in things like pails and rails to really isolate that hip capsule in a way it's supposed to move and stretch out and it's going to relieve a lot of pressure on the low back and knees. So if I had to give anyone homework out there that's dealing with a knee, knee issue or low back issue, number one. Go seek a good therapist that has a sports medicine background. Number two, start practicing your hip cars and 90-90 for hip external and internal rotation. And things are going to start moving and feeling better. Knee pain sucks. Don't let pain dictate your life. Be proactive about it. Don't be laying in bed and don't quit your fitness and health journey because stuff like this can always be worked around. Another thing, say you do have knee pain. This is going to be my last point. What do you want to stay away from in the gym is any kind of knee flexion-based exercises. For example, if in your program you're doing walking lunges, step-ups, squats, front squats, um, let me think, any kind of lunge, split squats, front-loaded you know, squats, any kind of rear-foot-loaded split squats, anything like that where the knee tracks forward, then your knees are not going to be very happy, whereas if you do more hip dominant exercises like glute bridges, hip thrust, stability ball, hamstring curls, deadlifts, single leg deadlifts, that's going to relieve the pressure off the knee. It's also going to help your hips stabilize. It's also going to help your ankle stabilize and take off the pressure of the knee. And then you'll be able to still train in the gym around your injury. That's the biggest thing I teach all my patients and clients is that anytime you have an injury or dealing with an angry joint, there's ways around it. You shouldn't give up. You got to keep trucking along. Rehab is just a bunch of detective work find what works stick with it if something doesn't work you scrap it off the list and you move on that's all you got to do you got to keep moving find what works and you will be successful that's it for me you guys i want to keep these as short as possible 10 minutes or less i'm over time but you know what i was on a good flow of stuff of information that i speak to patients about a whole day and I wanted to share with you so hopefully that helped with some of you listening today tomorrow or whenever you will decide to listen to this episode so thank you for listening to me ramble as always and remember share this podcast give me a five-star rating on itunes google play stitcher radio soundcloud or wherever you listen to your podcasts thank you thank you so much you guys you guys are amazing until next time have a freaking awesome week you're gonna fucking crush it i love all of you